If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua. If you uh, left your bulletin or your bookmarker, your Bible marker or something like that in uh, the text from last week, we're just a little bit before that, we'll be in Joshua chapter 2. That's going to be our main text, but we will also look at, uh, for a couple of verses, at chapter 6. Joshua chapter 2 and chapters, uh, chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in Joshua 2.1 in just a moment. Now today we're going to look briefly at the life of Rahab. Now when you hear the name Rahab, it probably rings some bells if you've been in church for a while. Um, she only occurs a, a few times in scripture, but it's clear that her, her conversion to the Lord was a genuine conversion. And, and her, her life really has a lot to teach us. Uh, but from the outside looking in, I mean her conversion was authentic, but from the outside looking in, it was indeed very uh, unlikely. Because, uh, and I just want to pause here before we get into the text. I just want you to, to think in your own mind, who in your life is an unlikely convert? Who in your life is an unlikely convert? Because probably you know that God's grace is, is broad. God's, God's grace is deep, and it, and it encompasses the worst sinner, the vilest sinner that, 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 that there ever was. God's grace can cover that person. But having said that, when we think about certain people, we still think to ourselves, that person is pretty unlikely to get saved. Maybe God's grace is, it, it, it's probably big enough to cover that sin, but it's, it's getting to the edge. Who in your life fits that category? Because His grace covers the vilest sinner, the, the, the worst sinner that ever was, and it covers also the, the person who grew up in an unbroken home. They went to church every week. They, they kept their nose clean. They got saved at a young age. I mean, they're, they're like the, the model person. In, in our minds, many times, that person is more savable than, than the outcast, than the, 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 the rank sinner. And when you think about Rahab, she was not in the savable category. She was not somebody that you would expect to become a believer. And yet... Uh, the, the Bible says that her conversion was a, an authentic conversion, and she, she acted in faith in response to that. Now, um, what I want you to do, like I said, if, if, if you found uh, Luke, uh, yeah, Luke, I'm still, I'm still stuck in our, in our series that we did a few weeks ago. If, if you found Joshua, uh, chapter 2, I'd like you to stay in honor of God's word if you're able. We'll pick up in chapter 2 and verse 1, and we'll read down to verse uh, 15 and then jump over. To chapter 6. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from, uh, from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come from the sons of Israel, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. Who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they, where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark, that the men went out, so I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as, the gate, as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we heard 
how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father, my mother, and my brothers and sisters, with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about, when the Lord gives us this land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she led them down by a rope through the window of her, of her house. Uh, then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. I'll jump over to chapter 6 uh, for just a couple verses. Picking up in verse 22, it says, So the young men who were spies went in, and this is, this is after the fall of Jericho, and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her, brothers and, and, and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. For she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> now there are four things I want you to uh, see in our text today. The first is her situation. Her situation. Her situation made her an unlikely believer. Now where we pick up in the text, um, uh, if you're familiar with Joshua, you probably and, and really the timeline of of Israel's history, you might know this already, but Moses, you remember, he had led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and into freedom. Now the people rebelled, they, were, uh, they, they, they rejected the land that God had given them, they were always griping and grumbling and complaining, uh, we don't have enough water, we don't have enough food, and, and God was, uh, he, he was with them, at, at one point they decided, hey, being out in freedom is no good, let's go back to let's go back to Egypt where we were in bondage, that was a lot better. But, but in the midst of all this, Moses had led them out uh, and, and led them to the edge of the promised land. He had sent spies in, remember, they came back and said, oh, the people are too big, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And so the people rejected the land, and God said, because of this, you will, you will wander in the desert for 40 years. Now, that's, that's when all the people began really grumbling a whole bunch, and it was a bad time. But Moses eventually died, and Joshua, his right-hand man, began to lead the nation. So he gets this new generation of Israelites because the old generation that came out of Egypt, they all died off. He got them up to the Jordan River. He's getting ready to enter the Promised Land, getting ready to enter Canaan. And Joshua sends out two spies. And so these spies, they were supposed to go out and, and, and view the land, but especially the city of Jericho because that was right before them, right in front of them. And, uh, and the city of Jericho, of course, was not a, a, a mythological city. Archaeologists tell us it is one of the... It's one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, uh, there has, there's been a settlement there that's been inhabited on and off since the Stone Age. I mean, it is an ancient city. It's ancient today. It was ancient whenever Joshua was alive. Okay, so, so this was a very ancient city. It was a very well-fortified city. They had a, a huge wall that was several feet thick. And it was imperative that the Israelites take this city because that was at the entrance into the Promised Land. And if they didn't take this city, they, they had no guarantee that somebody, some people group couldn't come up behind them and attack them from behind. So they had to take this city. 
And so Joshua sends out some spies to figure out uh, what, the, what, what their mindset's like, what their fortifications are like, and so forth. And that's where these two spies come in in chapter 2. Now, they end up going to a woman's house named Rahab. Now, there are several things working against Rahab from a human perspective. First and foremost, she is a pagan. The, the, the Bible tells us she's a Canaanite. She is, she, she is not a, 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 an Israelite. She doesn't have the, 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 the scriptures. She doesn't have Moses who is, who, who is given the law. She doesn't have any of that. She is a pagan. She is one of the people. Now, now the Canaanites were not just one group. The Canaanites were, were descended from, you remember, uh, Noah had three sons, him, Sham, and, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. And it was one of his grandsons' name was Canaan. And from him descended all these different people groups. And so, so all these people groups are called Canaanites, and she is one of those. She she is one of those uh, one of those people, and the Canaanites, all the different groups, they had different particulars, but they were all very wicked. They didn't worship the God of the Bible. They didn't worship the God of Israel. They worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. One of the main false gods they worshipped was a god by the name of Baal or Baal. And you probably have have heard Baal before. He was supposed to be a fertility god. He was associated with thunder and, and rain. And in an agrarian culture, I mean, we, we're not in an agrarian culture around here exactly, but we know what it's like to need some rain, right? And so, so they needed rain over there all the time, and, and they saw Baal. They thought Baal was, was this, this god of, of, of lightning and thunder and rain, and so they would worship him. And as part of their worship as a fertility cult, they had temple prostitutes. And so... So this, this prostitution was actually a religious rite in their system. And so there was all kinds of sexual immorality in the, the, in, the, in the lives of the Canaanites. They also practiced child sacrifice. They would burn their children alive to the god of Moloch. And so we don't know how much of this she was taking part in, but she lived in a culture of death. And, and again, we don't know which people group she was part of, but that's the environment that she lived in. She didn't know the God of the Bible. She didn't grow up in church. She was, she, she was a pagan. She was an outsider. Another thing she had going against her was her profession. The Bible says she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Now, some have, have tried to soften this, and we'll see why here towards the end of the, of the message. But they've tried to say, well, she wasn't really a prostitute. She was an innkeeper. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says she was a prostitute. In fact, the fact, in fact her having this, this, this house, this home on the wall indicates she may have actually had a brothel. And she was a wicked woman. She was a sinful woman. And again, we know that God can take somebody that's wrapped up in an egregious, sinful lifestyle like this, and He can transform them and, and redeem them and, and, and draw them to Himself, but sometimes we don't really believe it. But I'm here to tell you that, that, that you are not too far gone no matter what your sin is. Rahab was a harlot. David was an adulterer. David was also a murderer. And God saved them both. He, he redeemed them. Your sin is not too big for God's forgiveness. That person that's in your life that I had you think about before, maybe you've been praying for them, maybe for years, he, he or she is not too far gone for God to redeem, for God to save. Now, she is an unlikely convert, but a convert nonetheless. The second thing I want you to see is the proof of her faith. 
the proof of her faith. Now, if you look at verse 2, you see what the proof is. The proof of her faith is one word, and that's works. The proof of her faith is works. So the spies come in late in the evening. Uh, they, they probably tried to blend in, tried to act natural. Don't, don't draw attention to yourselves. But it didn't work because, remember, the, the city is on high alert. They know the Israelites are coming. They know what has happened at the Red Sea. They know that they fought against the Amorites. They know all this stuff. And here are the Israelites right across the Jordan River. Huge encampment of millions of people. And they know they're coming. So they'd be on high alert. They have, they have no doubt, watchmen stationed on the wall. Keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. Anybody that doesn't look familiar. They spot these guys. Word gets back to the king. So he sends some men to bring out the spies, to apprehend them. And it's here that we see, look at verse 4, here that we see her faith in action. Verse 4 says, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. She hid the men so they would not be detected. Now, we don't know exactly how the timeline of this all played out, how, how and when she hid them. It's possible that she met them outside the city walls and led them in and then hid them right away. It could be that, that, uh, that, that she heard that these men were coming from the king and, and so she took them and, and hid them quickly. It, it could be that, that, uh, that you know, they, they just happened by, by coincidence, which is really God's providence, that these men showed up at her door and, and she took them in and, and hid them. We don't know exactly what the timeline was, but we, we know that she did take them and conceal them. And, and the Bible makes clear this was an act of faith. If you take notes or, or write down uh, different references... You can write down Hebrews 11.31. It says, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. James 2.25 says, In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Her actions illustrate the powerful biblical truth that faith demonstrates itself in works. Faith demonstrates itself in works. Now the book of James labors this point. What does it say? Faith without works is dead. He said that now, now some have sought to, to put faith and, and works in opposition to one another, but they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Paul says that we're justified by, God, by faith before God, and he makes that point in Romans 4. And James says we're justified before men on the basis of our works. In other words, I can come to you and say, well, I have faith. And you look at me and say, well, then prove it. And the way that you prove that you have faith is in the things that you do. It's in the way that you live. It's in good works. And, and as Augustine put it, we are saved by faith alone, but by a faith that is not alone. Now, when I was growing up, in our, our part of the country, one of the things that they talked about a lot was, you don't, don't just talk the talk, but what do you do? You've got to walk the walk. And that was, that was something I heard I don't know how many times as a young person. And, and this is, that is a biblical truth. If you, if you have faith, it's not enough to say you have faith. You need to live it out. You need to exercise that faith. You need to put it into action. And I just want you to consider your own life. Are you putting your faith into action? Now John says in, in the book of, I believe it's First John, it says, it's not enough, this is my, my paraphrase, it's not enough 
just to, to, to love in word. It's not enough just to say, yes, I, I love this person. But you show that love in the things that you do. You know, if somebody is destitute of food and clothing, and you say, well, uh, go on, brother, I'm, I'm praying for you. Be fed and be warm. And you send them on their way and you don't give them what they need. That's, that's not love. We need to show our faith in our works, just like Rahab did. Her faith moved her to action in hiding the spies. Third, I want you to see the basis of her faith. The basis of her faith. The proof of her faith was her works. The basis of her faith faith was God, God's works. God's works. Look at verse 11. Well, really, 8 through 10. So in, in verses 8 to 10, if you'll scan down through there, verse 9, I know the Lord's given you the, the, the land, the terror, your terror's fallen on us. Uh, the, the, the people are melted away before you, so on and so forth. And she, she says, we've heard all that God has done for the Israelites. He parted the Red Sea, gave you victory over the Amorites. And the results, verse 9, the people are in terror, melting away. Verse 11, our, our, the, the people's hearts are melting in fear. There's no courage left in any of them. So on, on one hand, God's works cause terror to one group of people. But on the other hand, Those very same works elicited faith in the heart of Rahab. The same sun that will harden clay will melt wax. And God will sometimes use those same acts that will drive some folks away. He will use those very things to bring people to himself. And notice her confession in verse 11. When we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, notice Lord's in all caps, speaking of Yahweh, Jehovah, calling him by his covenant name. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He, not he among others, not not he uh, as well as others. He is not a God, he is the God. He is God. He and he alone is heaven above is, is, is sovereign, he rules, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There's no place that where, where he is not, and there's no place where his rule and reign and his sovereignty does not extend. Now obviously she had spiritual light. We don't know where it came from. Again, she's a pagan. It, maybe it came from interacting with these spies. Maybe it came from 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 some truth that she had, had been exposed to earlier in life. But either way, she responded to the light that she was given. And I just want to tell you today, you have spiritual light. You have spiritual light. You have the scriptures you're exposed to. You you can come to church and sit under the, the preaching and teaching of the gospel. You're exposed to Christian influences around you. You have spiritual light. The question is not, do you have it? The question is, what are you going to do with it? Somebody's well said that light obeyed brings more light. The light rejected bringeth night. Light obeyed bringeth more light, but light rejected bringeth night. And that is a sobering thought. She had light, she responded. The last thing I want you to see briefly is the heritage of her faith. The heritage of her faith. Now I've already mentioned this, uh, I'm not gonna, so I'm not going to really spend any time here, but the New Testament takes Rahab as an example and says she illustrates what a life of faith or an act of faith is, it looks like. And so Hebrews 11 in, in the, the Hall of Faith uh, uh, mentions her. 
James uses her as an example in James chapter 2. James chapter 2. But then if you'll turn over to chapter 6 in, uh, in Joshua. If you jump down to verse uh, 25, I want you to notice what it says in, uh, in, in that place. It says, However, Rahab the harlot in her father's household and all she had Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. For she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, obviously, she couldn't do that if she hadn't been converted. And we, we know that happened earlier. But there's more, because her heritage of faith isn't just becoming part of the covenant people of God. Because if you'll, if you'll look sometime in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, he starts out with a genealogy. And again, many times we look at this, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and, so, and, and our minds just kind of shut off. We mentally disengage until we get to a narrative part where we understand, okay, well, here, here's, here's the, the Holy Family, Jesus is going to be born. I can get into that. We skip over a lot of the stuff in the genealogies. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says this, Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, pause. Does Boaz ring a bell? Boaz should ring a bell because the book of Ruth, you remember she ended up with a kinsman redeemer named Boaz, same guy. So Boaz's uh, mom was Rahab, the harlot. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. So Rahab is King David's direct ancestor. And guess who was descended from David? Jesus. Jesus himself had this harlot, this prostitute, in his family line. Now that is why some people have looked at this, and they said, well, you know, Rahab wasn't actually a prostitute. She was an innkeeper, because in their mind it was too scandalous for Jesus to have somebody of that reputation in his family tree. But I'm just going to say, I'm, 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 I'm glad that Jesus is not ashamed to have, him, have her in his family. I'm glad that he's not ashamed to have a sinner saved by grace as one of his brethren. I'm glad that he doesn't look at me and he doesn't say, oh, you know, sometimes somebody says, Hey, you're a, you're a Braddock or you're a whatever your last name is. Are you any kin to so-and-so? And sometimes we say, yeah, yeah, sure am. Sometimes, are you any kin to so-and-so? We say, oh, yeah, but I don't claim him. That's not what Jesus does. He is not ashamed. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, those are believers, are all from one Father, for which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus brought Rahab into the family. And he'll bring you and me and anybody that will put their faith in him into his family. And God may find us involved in sin, but he doesn't leave us that way. He sanctifies us. He, he cleanses us. He washes us. He, he redeems us. He changes us from the inside out. It makes us right before him. And, and I, I, I said it before, but I'll say it again. Your sin, whatever it is, is not too big for God's forgiveness. 
You are not outside the scope of God's grace. And so if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, do that today. But I know many of us here have done that. And it could be that you've, you've done that, but boy, you've really made a mess of things. You, you've sinned. You've wandered away from God. You're not where you need to be. Accept that forgiveness and, and have that relationship restored and then move forward in your walk with Christ. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I invite you to encourage you to examine your own hearts. Are you where you need to be, where you should be spiritually? Could it be that you're not a Christian? Again, your sin does not put you outside the realm of God's grace. That's, that's the reason Jesus died. It's for forgiveness. The Bible says, If we'll confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Simple as that. Turn to Him. And as a Christian, your sin isn't going to make you not a Christian, but it can damage that relationship. It can hinder it. Confess it to Him. Acknowledge it for what it is. Get right with Him. Heavenly Father, thank You that our sin is not too big for your grace. But where our sin abounds, your grace much more, uh, it, it superabounds. It's, it's overflowing. It, it, it covers even the worst sin. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody who's hearing me today that has never accepted Christ as their Savior, that they would, would repent and believe the gospel. Lord, if there's somebody here who is a believer, but they have that sin in their life, I pray that you would let them confess it and restore that relationship. And let's be people of good works. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.